Rilima, good morning. Uh, my name is Daniel Maundu, and I serve as one of the elders here in Redima. Uh, in the last couple of months, we have been uh, looking bit by bit at the last discourse that Jesus had with his disciples, as recorded in the book of John 13 to 16. Now, everything that was recorded in these chapters happened in one evening. It was the final day that Jesus had with his disciples before he was arrested, tried, and crucified. In that evening, they had their last supper. You do remember he went through that. He washed their feet. He predicted the betrayal by Judas and Peter's denial. He gave them a new commandment to love one another just as he had loved them. And he comforted them that he was going to prepare a place for them. And after that, he will come for them to take them so that where he is, they will be there. He reminded them, reminded them to abide in him all that time and told them of the comforter who will come in his place. He also taught them about the persecution that will come their way. All that happened in one evening. And today we'll be looking at the last part of that discourse. So we'll see the final words that uh, these treasured friends he gave to them. And he had been with them for three years. And after the final words, he will later pray for them. But our focus is those final words that he told them. So now we are looking at John 16, verse 16 to 33 has John us read for us. But before we dive into it, let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for this inspired word that has been read for us. And as we dwell on it now, we pray that you will speak to us by your Spirit. We pray for attentiveness on our part and keep us from any distraction. May your blessing be upon us in the expounding and the hearing of your word to the praise of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I will ask you now to go to the passage. We will be referring a lot to it. Uh, open your Bibles, John 16, verse 16 to 33. In this passage, Jesus lays out before the disciples what lies ahead in their Christian journey after his ascension back to the Father. And in the laying out, it shows them that there will be moments of sorrow, but moments of joy too. 
and they will be able to pray to the Father directly. During that time, they will enjoy the love of the Father. But still, they will face troubles here in this present world. However, Jesus reminds them that they should take heart in him because he will give them the victory. So that is what he will focus on in the last few moments that he is with them. We will also try to, to see and relate these things that uh, the disciples ended up facing because they are the very things that we will face while we are in this world. And the help and grace they receive to sustain them is the grace and help we receive to sustain our lives. So I have two main points that I will share with you. Uh, the first one being that Christ turns our sorrows into joy. And the second point will be that Christ is our mediator and source of victory. So let's look at our first point, that Christ turns our sorrows into joy as we examine the text. In this section, we will notice that uh, Jesus prepares his disciples. He is preparing them in advance for moments of sorrow that will come their way. And not only the moments of sorrow, but the moments of joy that will also come their way. So let's consider first of all the moments of sorrow. Looking at verse 16 to 18, the Bible says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples say to one another, What is this he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. So as we continue in the text, let us keep in mind that we have the benefit of knowing the story after it happened. But to these disciples, at that particular moment, they were only hearing predictions of what is yet to happen. So right here at the beginning of the text, Jesus says three statements that the disciples could not understand. So what does Jesus mean by these statements? The disciples wanted to know, but actually they did not ask him. So the first statement is, uh, in a little while you will not see me. What does he mean by this statement? Now the thing is that Jesus knew that it would be just a matter of hours and that he would be arrested, he would suffer, he will suffer a lot of things in the hands of the Jewish leaders and the Romans and that after that they will crucify him. 
And Jesus knew, as he had said before, that he would be buried. These are things that he had actually been telling his disciples all along, but they did not understand, or maybe they did not believe them. Perhaps it's because that time their concept of the Messiah was that of a political leader who cannot be defeated. After his burial, as we see after the fact, is that the guards were placed to protect the tomb. So his body was not even accessible, not even to the disciples. Therefore, in that little while, from the time he is arrested to the time he will be raised from the dead, there is no way the disciples would be able to see him. And that's why he says, in a little while, you will not see me. Now, what happened during this time, that particular period? The disciples would be engulfed in much sorrow, anguish, and lament. The sight of the kind of treatment that Jesus was to get would really be hard for them to bear. These men who had abandoned their earthly vocations and followed him for three years, they had a lot of hope in Jesus. And to see their Lord dealt such a blow, sure it was not easy for them to bear. And so they would be engulfed in sorrow. Now, observe that their sorrow would be great but short-lived. And Jesus illustrates that with a woman in labor. Now, those of you who are mothers here, I know you know that better. Ah, uh, we may not know it, but uh, the mothers have experienced it. And uh, we understand that uh, it is usually a very painful experience. But immediately the baby is born, a lot of joy follows. So let's look at verse 21. It says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So by use of this particular illustration, Jesus shows that their sorrow will be inevitable, but it would be short, followed by much joy. Now, notice that during their time of sorrow, the world will rejoice. By the world, Jesus is meaning those religious leaders, the wicked religious leaders, and everybody that was opposed to him. So let's read verse 20. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. While the disciples are lamenting, the religious leaders and those who opposed Jesus would be celebrating. 
Because it would be their, like their moment of victory. Because at last they would think that they have managed to silence Jesus by putting him to death. But the good news is that the sorrow of the disciples will not last. Neither with the celebration of these religious leaders. And so Jesus prepares them in advance by telling them what lies ahead so that they will not be taken by surprise. Now, let's look at how their sorrow turned into joy. So the second statement that Jesus says is, Again a little while and you will see me. As much as he suffered and died in the hands of the Jewish authorities and the Romans, Jesus died according to God's predetermined plan that involved his death, his burial, his resurrection, and finally his ascension back to the Father. That was a plan that God had set much before. And so after three days, God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, remember Jesus had promised the disciples that he will see them again. So looking at verse 22, he says that, uh, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. There was overwhelming joy when Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. Everybody was happy among the disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus, about Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the disciples, in seeing Jesus alive, their sorrow was turned into joy. And their joy multiplied all the more as they fully understood the meaning of those events that took place. His death had caused them much sorrow, but now they rejoiced that actually he had died because they understood why he died. In the words of one commentator, they understood that by Christ's death and resurrection, the atonement was made, the victory gained, and the kingdom of heaven opened to all believers. And so this is the great news of great joy that Christ died and arose again for you and for me. Now you may ask, how does this apply to me? One, if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, this is an invitation for you to turn to him in faith and repentance. And the joy of knowing his resurrection and the benefits that it procures will be yours. And two is that observe that 
Jesus prepares us not only for sorrow that is ahead, but also for the overwhelming joy that will follow. So he does not want us to be surprised by the things that will happen to us. He knows what will happen and he wants us to know those things from him so that we should not be surprised. And three is that Christ knows and allows everything that comes our way. And he knows your sorrow and your pain even right now. And so we can trust him for his sustaining grace. Now hear what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is that high priest. In his touch, he knows what we go through. We can turn to him for sustaining grace. So now let's move to the second point where Christ is our mediator and our source of victory. Now all the blessings and privileges that the Father gives to us as Christians are secured for us by Christ through his finished work. So we all all to him. We saw earlier that the disciples were confused about the three statements. So now we are going to the third statement. Because I am going to the Father. Now, let's look at verse 28. I came from the Father and I've come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ha, oh, you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. At that moment, it looks like the disciples got it. Finally, they are believing Jesus. They are believing more about Jesus. It's as if those words opened their eyes and from their lips they confessed that they believed that Jesus knows all things and that he came from God. Now, how, how did this happen? First of all, notice that the disciples were talking amongst themselves, asking questions among themselves, and they did not ask Jesus. But then Jesus comes and says, are you asking about this? And it's like he spoke what was in their minds and what was in their heart. And because they had not asked him, they also remembered 
other similar moments where Jesus knew what was in their minds. Their confession that they believed that he came from God and that he knows all things meant that finally they were getting his true identity. Now, according to them then, and even now, who else knows all things? Who knows what is in the minds of people? Who searches the hearts and the thoughts of men? It's God. So this was a big step forward in their faith. That before Jesus suffers and ascends to heaven, the disciples have finally got his identity. That the Messiah before them is truly man and truly God. And although we see the disciples' faith falter a little later, these are the truths that they will remember in the days after the resurrection. And when Jesus ascended back to the Father, it will be the start of a new day. A day that will last until he comes back. We've been singing, longing for his coming. And we are in that day as we wait for his return. In this new day, he mediates for us with the Father. So because of the work he accomplished through his sacrifice for us, we can pray directly to the Father and we can enjoy the love of the Father. We can continue in our increasing knowledge of the Father. So now let's consider that we can pray directly to the Father in his name. Verse 23, it says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verse 26 continues. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. All the while that Jesus was with his disciples, they never at any moment prayed to the Father in Jesus' name. But a new door is being opened. Jesus opened a new door. They could pray directly to the Father. And looking back at where these disciples are coming from, they had to depend on priests to offer sacrifices on their behalf to God. Now, Jesus tells them that they will pray directly to the Father in his name. And their prayers will be heard and their joy will be full. In the days that followed, as we read in the book of Acts, we see the disciples praying to the Father. We see their prayers answered. The new day has dawned. The new door has been opened. We can pray to the Father. Now, the privilege to pray to the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, is for all believers. Those who have put their faith in Jesus by repenting of their sins and trusting him for eternal life. 
It is our privilege today. And that's why here at Redeemer, we can corporately pray all types of prayers. We pray prayers of thanksgiving, as Alan has led us to, uh, this morning. We pray prayers of confession, where we confess our sins to the Father and ask for forgiveness. We pray for prayers of petition, asking for our needs and for the needs of others. We pray prayers of praise. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ because God has accepted us through him. He is our mediator. Now, notice something very important that we have to pray in his name. In his name alone. What does it mean then to pray in his name? Is it just to say everything we want and at the end say in Jesus' name? Prayer in Jesus' name means more than that. Let me say two things about prayer in Jesus' name. One, it means approaching the Father not by our merit. We don't deserve it. So we don't approach him by our merit, but by the merit of Christ alone. We depend on his finished work as the only basis by which the Father can accept us and hear us. And second, it means praying as Jesus himself would pray according to his will. That means bringing our desires subject to the will of God. As Jesus had prayed somewhere, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That means we are preferring God's will to our will, as Jesus did. And that is to pray in his name. And so it's in this new day, we will be able to pray directly to the Father in Christ's name. Now, we will also notice that uh, because of Jesus' finished work, we will enjoy the love of the Father. Jesus assured them that the Father loves them. He assures us that the Father loves us. The disciples will be enjoying the love of the Father. Now, is it not a great comfort just to live your Christian life knowing that God loves you? Day in, day out, know that the Father loves me. This is how John, in his other book, writes about the relationship between us and the Father. First John 3 verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And I want to remind you that if you have believed and trusted in Jesus for eternal life, 
then you are a child of God. And as God's children, we can enjoy his love and live in this certainty and perfect assurance that Jesus will come back for us and he will take us to be with him where he is forever. And so we can rejoice in this. Let's also notice that because of Jesus' finished work, we will have an increasing knowledge of God. As he leaves the disciples, they will continue to know more about God. They will continue to learn. Now, verse 25 says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Now, notice at this particular time, as Jesus is giving his last final words to the disciples in that particular discourse, he had already talked to them about the Holy Spirit who will come to be with them and to be in them. So he continues to show them that even though he has spoken with parables earlier, a lot will be made clear by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide them into all truth that he will take from Jesus and reveal to the disciples. That the Holy Spirit would even remind them the things that Jesus had spoken to them. And over time, we see these disciples went on, even to write by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some of these things we are reading in the Bible. Today, the Holy Spirit helps us by giving us illumination on the words that he inspired the disciples to write. And now, let's consider the last portion of what Jesus said. That he himself will be our source of victory because we'll face troubles in this world. So we have seen earlier that there was a remarkable advancement in the faith of the disciples as to who Jesus is. Now let's again look at verse 30. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them. Verse 31. Do you now believe? Verse 32. Behold the hour is coming indeed. And indeed it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. As much as it was a great step that these disciples got to know who Jesus is, he knew that in a short while their faith will be tested. And when that time of testing comes, that particular time, their faith will not hold. They will not be able to hold. They would scatter and leave him alone. No one would be there in his defense. And Jesus would suffer with no one by his side. Even Peter, the most vocal of the disciples, would open his mouth and say, I don't know this man. 
was sad. But later, Jesus would come to them and he would, they would be assured of his love and care. They would see this is truly our friend. Our Lord has his raised from the dead. Their wavering and instability will not be long because a day will come when they are filled with the Holy Spirit that they will be strengthened so much that there is no threat that would shake these disciples' faith. We see them later waxing strong, so strong and bold that even their persecutors would be shocked by what happened to this man. Now, let's listen to Acts 4 verse 13. That was a time that the same religious leaders were persecuting these disciples. 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So in the midst of great persecution, these disciples continued to speak boldly about Jesus from city to city. Now, observe something else that when Jesus was forsaken by all, his strength came from a relationship with the Father. In, he knew that he was not alone because the Father is with him. Verse 32b says, Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And let me tell you, my brother and sister, you may go through a trial where you feel so alone, possibly with no one to turn to for comfort. You may feel that even your closest friends may seem not to understand you. They may even forsake you. When Jesus was left alone, by the others, he had the comfort and the fellowship of the Father. And so I want to say the same to you. Remember, your Savior cannot, will not abandon you. He cares for you. Keep leaning on him. Keep trusting him. Now, Jesus gives his final words to the disciples. Listen to them and let them sink again deep into your heart. Verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. These are words of a friend to his friends. These are words of a shepherd to the flock he has cared for for the last three years. Elsewhere, 
he had told them about the cost of following him. That whoever would like to follow Jesus would need to deny himself, take up his cross and follow him. Jesus had told them that the servant is not greater than the master. Whatever they have done to the master, they will do to the servant. So to prepare these disciples once more for what is ahead, he tells them plainly that in the world they will suffer troubles. They will be walking in a hostile world where their message will not be accepted. They will face opposition. There will be threats coming their way. Now as we read in the book of Acts and later in church history, the disciples face all kinds of troubles for the sake of Christ. And through the centuries, things have not changed to date. And so these words are written for our encouragement, my brother and my sister, that in this wicked world, we will face tribulation for the sake of Christ and because we choose to honor him. You will face it at school. You will face it at home, in college, at work, everywhere. So long as you have chosen to follow Christ. And it is sad that some people have tried to invite others to Christ with a false promise that their lives will be free of trouble as they come to the faith. That is not true. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will face persecution and opposition for standing firm in Christ. But Jesus gives us this encouragement. In me, you can have peace. In Christ, you can have peace. What kind of peace? The peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. It will be a constant reality in our lives that from the outside shall be pressure and opposition from the world. But inside, the peace of Christ will rule. So with the comfort of knowing that he knows all things, that he is in control, and that his plan cannot be stopped by anyone, we can have peace in him. So our Lord says, take heart, I have overcome the world. What does it mean when he says, I have overcome the world? Now, the world that surrounds us tries to hinder God's mission either by threats of harm. They threaten you. They harm you, persecution. Or by its enticements and pleasures 
so that we forget God. Christ overcame. So Christ endured a hardship. He endured opposition, ridicule, isolation, and much hostility even to death in order to finish the work that the Father gave him. He thus overcame. Again, he was never at any moment sidetracked to love the world and anything that is in it. Instead, he loved the Father and thus he overcame. And so my brothers and sisters, in the world we will face troubles, but Christ will give us the victory. But the victory will come our way when we take the mind of Christ, the mind of loving the Father instead of the world, and the mind of the willingness to suffer for Christ, knowing that what he procures for us is far much better compared to the pleasures of the world. And we could be willing to stand firm and stand unmoved in hope as we wait for his return. So we therefore have his example. We have the strengthening by his spirit in our lives. We have the testimonies of those who have gone before us to spur us on to victory. Now, let's read Hebrews 12, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So my brothers and sisters, remember that in this world we will experience sorrows but Christ will turn them into joy. He will also give us strength to bear. And that in the difficult times ahead, it is worth it to stand firm in Christ, depending on his help and strength, praying to the Father and increasing in our knowledge of him. Shall we pray together? Father, it's a delight that we have this privilege of coming to you directly through the mediation of your son Jesus. Thank you for the word that has come to us. 
Would you use it to comfort those of us going through sorrow? Would you help us to treasure Christ as our only source of joy and victory? In those moments when we face troubles for standing firm in Christ, would you give us the joy and your peace? Would you enable us to endure all things for his glory? We pray these things in his most precious name. Amen.